Well, we talked, remember number one was, yes, you can win. Everyone say, yes, yes. I, can win. I can win. Sure you can, amen. Number two, after we get that mentality, we've got to dress for success, remember? Got to put on the whole armor of God, it's a whole ensemble. You've got to get up dressed for success. Number three, we talked about the shield of faith. You've got to face the fiery darts of the enemy with the shield of faith. Paul said, above all, take up the shield of faith. Number four, we talked last week about the blood of Jesus. Wasn't that cool last week? That was just an unusual Sunday. The blood of Jesus. We're protected by his blood. And this is the fifth lesson. Again, we'll end next week. But this morning, I want to talk about a sword in your mouth. A sword in your mouth. In Ephesians chapter 6, we've been uh, talking here and there about the armor of God. And I want to read to you now one of the weapons that he gives us, which needs to be used in order to be victorious and successful against the enemy. Ephesians 6 verse 14, Paul writes, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is one of the locations where that word for word is rhema. We've told you the story before about our daughter Kaylin, about how when she was conceived in the womb, uh, the doctor told us it was a bad pregnancy. We'd already lost a baby through miscarriage. The doctor explained to us that this too was a bad pregnancy. There was no fetal pole. There was no heartbeat. And we told that story on numerous occasions at how we determined on on this time, this occasion, we weren't going to just accept a doctor's report. And so we determined that we were going to speak life into Tracy's womb. And so we began to just speak life. We, we, we prayed and declared life over her womb. And uh, after a couple of, week, couple of weeks of doing nothing but speaking life, declaring life, making sure our confession was filled with the promises of God and the word of God, we went back and all of a sudden you could see that little fetal pole, that heartbeat come back again. And, you know, we thought that maybe the doctor just got it wrong. But we found out later the doctor had it right, but uh, the prognosis was wrong. That's when God stepped in. And God who brings life out of death, God who resurrects those things which we say are long gone, brought life back into Tracy's womb. And today, Kaylin sits here and she's a miracle. And her middle name is that word for word, which is Rama which means the thing which is spoken, the thing which is said. There, there's word that you can read and get a lot from it, but then there's the word that you've got to put in your mouth, and you've got to begin to speak it out loud. And I've told you before, in fact, I've told you in almost every message that the point to activating spiritual things is that you must say something. You've got to speak something out of your mouth. I'm not... I mean, you need to think straight and you need to think right. Those things are important. But thinking and believing are only part of the equation. You don't fulfill uh, the possibility of accessing spiritual things until what you think and what you 
believe get in your mouth and you begin to say it. And the minute you begin to speak it and say it, things get activated in the spirit realm. In 1 Timothy, let me read you another verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Listen to this. We, we know the first part of the verse, but oftentimes the second half gets overlooked. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Paul writes, he says, fight the good fight of faith. You know, I, I have to learn this almost weekly. I think I'm better than daily, but I'm probably still at weekly. That if you're going to see some things come to pass in your life, if you're going to, going to see God do miracles, the impossible, things only that he can do, you've got to get this revelation, and I'm telling you, it is so easy to lose it and to walk away from it. You've got to fight for some things. If you think being a Christian you get to avoid a fight, you are so wrong. There are some things you're just going to have to fight for. You're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. You're going to have to lay hold on eternal life. You just don't trip into these things. You just don't somehow, you know, just, just all of a sudden just fall into it. It's not, it's not something which you just sit around and God sovereignly does. You're going to have to lay hold and fight some, with some things. It says, to which you were also called and have what? Confessed. So you can be called to all kinds of things. You can have promises all over your life. You can be purposed and have the will of God going on in your mind and in your heart. And I'm sure there's probably more promise per square inch in this room this morning than we can even begin to conceive. And you may be called to it, but that will never be activated unless your confession links with that calling. Have confessed the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses. That means I don't get to just confess it behind closed doors where my tail is no longer on the line. <laughs> I use the word tail because I'm in the pulpit, so I just want you to know that. I just... But you've got to make your confession in front of many witnesses to where you're on the line. Your face on the line. God's on the line. You've got to just to begin to declare it and say, Lord, I've said it out loud. Now, if you don't show up, we're going to look stupid. That's the fight of faith. And that's where it begins to take place. If you're going into a spiritual battle, then realize your sword will be the words of your mouth. That's your sword. Some of you all have dull blades. Some of you all have absolutely no blade. <laughs> it's, there's a great picture of Jesus in the book of the Revelation on a white horse. And he's seen coming into a battle with a sword coming out of his mouth. If you ever read that picture, it's, it's a wonderful picture. Because the interpretation is, is that as he shows up, he's not going to slay his enemies with the power and might of his arm. He's going to slay his enemies by the power of what he says. God doesn't have to lift a finger. He doesn't have to move an arm for any of us. All God has to do is speak and universes come into being. 
All God has to say is let there be light and there is life. All God has to say is let it be exposed and it'll be exposed. All God has to say is let there be firmament and air and trees and animals. And all he has to speak is one word and the Hebrew writer said all things are upheld by the word of his power. God's not up there working up a sweat. He's just waiting to hear his word being declared. But that's why the enemy's so effective. Because what the enemy does is he plants thoughts in us. He plants ideas and things in our mind with the full knowledge that our habit as human beings is to immediately say what we think. If he can just get a thought in there, he knows that by and large most of us will just go ahead and say whatever it is we're thinking. All he has to do is get us in a circumstance, get us in a, in, in a difficult, pressure, stress-filled cooker, and he knows if he can begin to solicit certain feelings in us, he knows because he's had thousands of years to watch us as human beings. He knows if I put them in the right scenario, they'll instantly speak what they feel and they'll instantly speak what they think. And as soon as we speak what we feel and as soon as we speak what we think, we thereby shut down the weaponry of God because we must speak his word. We must speak his promise. And all of a sudden, the enemy breaks our sword and we become impotent with regards to moving forward in the things of God. Listen to this. Proverbs 6 verse 2 says this. It says that we are ensnared by our neighbors. We are ensnared by our friends at school. We are ensnared by that, that bad group that we go to work with that's always trying to get us to go the wrong way. No, it says we are ensnared by the words of our mouth. That's how we get tripped up most of the time. In Job, the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 25, uh, I've taught Job on numerous occasions. A lot of people don't understand Job. I, I, I believe Job can be understood if you just get this one passage right here. He says... The thing I feared the most has come upon me. You can ignore it. You can discount it. You can say to yourself, oh, he's just a faith preacher today. He's one of those positive confession people. And you can blow me off and go live your life whatever way you want to live it. I'm telling you, this is how the word says we activate spiritual things. So if you want to win over the enemy and be successful in the challenges of your life, you must understand that your weapon of battle will be the sword of your mouth. Now, you may want to slap your neighbor, but that isn't going to fix your neighbor. You're going to have to realize your battle is with the sword of your mouth. You may have all these wonderful ideas as to how things could be taken care of, but your weapon is the sword of your mouth. I'm going to ask you a question. Has an occurrence like this ever happened to you? I, I, I believe this has probably happened to everybody. Let's just say you lost your keys to your car. You're looking, anybody ever lost their keys to their car? I mean, you're wondering, where did I lay my keys? I've lost them, I've laid them down somewhere, I can't find them. So you're looking everywhere for the keys of your car. You're looking under everything, you're looking under, you know, your sofa, you know, you know mattress things there, uh, cushions, whatever that's called. I mean, you know, you find old M&Ms, old Fritos, and every, but you don't find your car keys. I mean, you're, 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 where, where every conceivable place, you look in, you know, the drawers where, you, you know, you throw change, loose change and all kinds of things like that. It's not there. It's not there. You've looked all over the house. You've looked and you've looked and you've looked to find the, the missing keys. Where did I leave my keys? And all of a sudden, you just stick your hands in your pockets and you go, 
Wow, they're right there. I mean, they were on me the whole time. Now, that illustrates the way most of us try to figure out the answer to our problems and our challenges and to life in general. We try to find the answer by looking everywhere we can for that something. There's got to be something out there. There's got to be somewhere I can go, something I can do, some book I can buy, some tape I can get. There has to be something new. I need something new, some new revelation, some new knowledge, some new instruction. And yet the truth of the matter is the answer, the key, is right there on our face. In front of us the whole time. In Romans 10, verse 8, again, I'm just reading you verses that we've mentioned, but we've got to keep hearing it. What does it say? It says, the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Do you realize, I just thought about this, we could get the whole church praying about things. We could call the prayer chain. We could ask some intercessors. We could, we could call up some friends, even other churches, and begin to pray about something going on in our life or going on in the body. And it would be good to have people praying about your life and praying about issues that are going on in your life. But do you understand that we could activate a whole city, a whole nation in prayer. In fact, there are times, I believe that has even happened on a national basis, that there have been prayer activations, and we'll gather a million people in Washington, D.C. in order to uh, demonstrate something or to signify unity, and, and we will pray, and all these things are good. Don't misunderstand me. They are good and have their place. But do you realize everybody can pray, but if we don't begin to speak God's word and promise, if we don't begin to declare it with a sense of boldness and faith behind it, it doesn't happen. It's got to be in your heart and in your mouth. Now let me give you a, a short illustration of how I believe this works and maybe it can begin to etch it into your mind. Imagine with me for just a moment. In fact, some of you, this will shave way too close. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, Steve, I'm thinking of you. just for, Because you'll, as soon as you'll hear the illustration, you'll go, dude, I know that one for... But just imagine the enemy sues you. You're getting sued. I don't know if you've ever been sued. Maybe you've been taken to small claims court. Maybe bigger court. But the enemy has decided he's going to sue you. Get you for everything you've got. He's going to take it all. And so he's taking you. He's going to take you to court. And he's brought an accusation against you. The Bible says in the book of Job again, chapter 1, verse 6, it says that Satan was going around looking for someone to accuse. And so Satan goes before God the Father and he begins to accuse Job. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us clearly that Satan is the accuser of the brethren before the Lord. So you've got to realize there's this happening. And I don't understand how this works exactly. I'm going to try to paint a picture. But apparently Satan's throwing these accusations about the people of God to God the Father. In fact, when it was with Job, remember, uh, God said, well, look at my servant Job. There's none like him. He's a good guy. In fact, the Lord's pretty proud of Job. And then Satan starts accusing him and begins to say, well, sure, he's happy. Look how rich he is. Look what he's got going on. You take away some of those things, I'll guarantee you, he'll curse you straight to your face. And so there's the enemy accusing people before the Lord. And you got to realize Satan is a high power accuser. He's the best. I mean, he's one of those downtown lawyers. I mean, he's, he's, he knows how to do this. I mean, he's been doing this for years, got a lot of experience. He's, he's shady, he's shifty. 
You heard the joke, probably, of, of the two men that were, that were out fishing one day, and one of them was a lawyer, and uh, he fell overboard, and he was swimming back to shore, and as he was swimming back to shore, you could see off in the distance the fin coming out of the water, coming straight for him. And all of a sudden, you know, as this shark was coming straight for him, all of a sudden it did a right turn and it veered off. And when the two men were finally able to catch up and the man that was left in the boat was talking to his friend that had fallen out of the boat, an attorney, he said, did you see that shark that was coming for you? And then all of a sudden he just turned. What do you think that was all about? And his lawyer friend said, professional courtesy. <laughs> and I'll get letters from all my lawyer friends. It's all right, I get a lot of preacher jokes too. So. But Satan's this high power accuser, he's the best. And how do you defend yourself against somebody that's that good? Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says... That Jesus, Jesus is our advocate. That word advocate actually means he's our attorney. He's our attorney before the Father who is the judge. So we have an attorney. Apparently there's some courtroom that's going on. And this lawsuit begins as Satan is slandering and slopping this believer. So the question is, what can Jesus do? Well, in Revelation 12, 11, we've already quoted this passage. The Bible says this. It says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down and they overcame him, remember last week, by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of their testimony. So how do you, how do you overcome the accuser? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, also, I need, I need to read this to you real quick. Um, Hebrews 3, verse 1. And again, you may not be able to find them all quickly by hand, but you can write them down and read them later. Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, underline that because I'm going to come back to that. He is the apostle and high priest of what? Our confession. Of what? Say it one more time. Of what? He's a high priest and an apostle of our confession. So in other words, listen to me real carefully. If we're not making any confession, then can he be a high priest over that? No. That wasn't a trick question. No. He's the high priest and apostle of our confession. Now catch this. Jesus pleads before the Father that which is said. I'll say it again. Jesus pleads before the Father that which is said said he's the high priest over what it is that comes out of your mouth jesus is pleading your case with that which you have confessed and professed he's using your confession against the accusations and the instigations of the enemy he is the high priest he's the advocate of our confession now i'm going to explain to you how that works imagine with me for just a moment we're with a, you know, Perry Mason, or we're with Ben Matlock in, in, in a courtroom setting. And so here we are in this, in this setting, and picture with me, and I'll just use myself as an example, but, but here I am. I'm being sued by the enemy. Kevin gets thrown into this courtroom, and I'm going through a hard time. I mean, accusations, a trial, a period of testing. 
The enemy has instigated all of this pressure against me. And here I am in this courtroom. And Satan is there. And he's watching and he's waiting and he's accusing me before the Father. Jesus, who is my advocate, is leaning over the table and he begins to listen to what I'm saying. And he's listening and he's hearing everything that's coming out of my mouth. Now imagine with me for a moment as I'm sitting there with the Lord on our side of the, of the courtroom. Satan is on the other side of the courtroom, has made his accusations, has brought his case. Jesus, who's the high priest of my confession, begins to lean over the table to begin to listen to me and what's coming out of my mouth. And all of a sudden, what he hears is this. He hears me grumbling. He hears me complaining. He hears me charging God foolishly for allowing all this to happen. And then all of a sudden, the father says, son, what is it that, uh, that you want to bring to this courtroom? And Jesus stands up and he says, well, well, father, I'm the high priest of his confession and he just wants you to know he thinks it's your fault. Are you with me? As, as far as he's concerned, he thinks you aren't even worth serving anymore. He's ready to throw in the towel. He doesn't want to serve you anymore. He thinks you're unrighteous in your ways. He doesn't get why everyone else gets away with things. And, and I, I, I'm the high priest of his confession. And just, I'm just letting you know right now, that's what he said. How many of you right then would say, oops, oops. And sometimes, and this was the revelation that came to me, sometimes I think our, our seasons and our trials drag on. Because I'm not given my advocate, I've not given my attorney, I've not given my high priest and my apostle, I've not given him the confession that he needs and is asking for in order to take before the Father. So let's just kind of reverse the situation. Let's just say suddenly I wake up. I came to church one Sunday and heard a message on this particular area. And now I'm finding myself in a similar situation. It's still a hard place. It's still a test. It's still difficult for me to get through, it's, it's testing me in every way imaginable. I've got all these feelings rushing around inside of me. I've got all these thoughts that are being thrown at me here and there. And here I am in this courtroom. Jesus leans over to hear what I'm saying now that Satan has presented his case. And then he hears from who, though, who, he whom he is advocating, he hears these words coming out of my mouth. The Lord's leaning over. Thanks be to God who causes me to triumph in every situation. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hallelujah. I can, I can overcome and conquer all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The God whom I serve is able to deliver me no matter what it be. And whether I stay in the fire or get out of the fire, I'll not bend my knee. Anything else you'd like to say before I take it for the Father? Yes, I'd like you to tell him that I have been created as the head and not the tail, above and not below. That I'm blessed in my going in and I'm blessed in my going out. What if Jesus were to say, well, it just doesn't look like that's going on right now. It doesn't matter what things look like. I'm telling you what I believe in, that God can bring to me and what God has said in his word. I can tell you right now, that I'm blessed in my baskets and in my barns. The blessing is not only going to come upon me, but it will overtake me. And if this, this guy over here who accuses me comes after me one way, he'll have to depart seven ways. Jesus goes, I can use that. 
and he takes it before the Father. He picks up my confession because that's what he's high priest over. And he presents them before the Father. And so what is the effect? The Father hears that confession and all of a sudden the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Now listen to me. Hear me now. God's sovereign. I believe God can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. I am in no way impugning the sovereignty of God. But here's what our problem is. We just lazy. We get lazy in sovereignty. We just sit there and say, well, God's sovereign. I guess he'll just do what he wants to do with me. Well, truth of the matter is God has linked himself to certain law and biblical precept to where his sovereignty will, will impact you or be activated when we begin to do what he asks us to do. And if you want to grumble, complain, and be negative, and all the things that we all do, just understand God can't work with that. But when we give him a good confession, he's able to take that and run with it and do the very thing that we begin to say out loud he can do in our life. Now the question is, I started to ask myself, as I was just scratching out my notes, how can this happen in my life? I started to think about how all this gets ingrained in me. I don't know about you, but man, life sometimes is just hard. I mean, we'll all walk out of here today, and we'll probably get through today with a pretty good confession. And probably tomorrow we'll do all right. We'll, we'll give, but you know, you get about Tuesday or Wednesday. How many of you know, man, you just go to work, and it's everything you can do to keep your confession? Well, to be honest, some of you, you know, it's, I go home, and it's all I can do to keep my confession. You know, it's just, you know, life's just tough. It's hard. It's, it get, things get thrown at you. So how does, this, how does this get ingrained in you? Why, why is it that I'm always just like this? Why, why is it that I'm like this so much? And it's interesting that whenever Paul begins to talk about this stuff, he always talks about it in military terms. And, and he uses military terms in order to make a spiritual application. And it dawned on me that nobody goes to battle... Nobody fights an enemy. Nobody enters into an intense time of, of war with their enemy without first having been to a boot camp. Isn't that right? I mean, we just don't go down to the hood and grab a bunch of folks and throw them into battle. I mean, that'd be like shooting ducks on a pond. I mean, you just, I mean we, we send people, young people, mostly, to boot camps. And we train them in these boot camps in order to be prepared for the battle that they're about ready to go into. And I started to think about that because the most important thing is not so much me getting you revelation and understanding because for most of you, you can, you're, you're, you're bright and you'll get this pretty quick. But the key is that you need to know is how do I stay here? How do I keep this going on? How does this, how does this get branded in my spirit? And I started to think about that boot camp and boot camp is where you are deprogrammed from the world and you are reprogrammed for military use. Now, I, I've never been to a military boot camp. I, I've talked to numerous people. Some of you, how many of you have been to boot camp here? I mean, you've gone to some boot camp. So you, you, you could probably, you know, give the illustration here. But, but from what I understand, you go to the military and it's like it's a worldview change. It's not civilian life. In fact, you're, no, you're not remotely doing the things a civilian does. I mean, they're doing everything they can to, to get some things out of you in order to put some things in you. And is it just to be nasty towards you? No, it's to get you ready to go to war. 
they've got to unplug certain ideas that you have with regard to civilian life, and they've got to plug in certain military concepts for you to understand what happens when you're in a battle. All of us know that when you're in a foxhole and the commanding officer says, take that hill, there ain't no vote that goes on in that foxhole. Well, let's see if that makes sense. Nope, doesn't make sense to me. You see where I'm going? You've got to unplug and replug. I was taking an airplane ride back from Canada one time. I'd been speaking in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I had to make a couple different connections in order to get back here to Charleston. And uh, the last flight that I got on, I think it was in Memphis, I got on there and was flying back to Charleston. There was a, a large group of young men that got on that airplane going back to Charleston. It was, it was, it was late. My, my flight wasn't going to get in until probably about 11 o'clock at night. And they were just as obnoxious as can be. In fact, initially I said, how could you get this many obnoxious people on the same air? I mean, they came in and they were loud. They were obnoxious. Their language was terrible. And it wasn't just me. It wasn't just impugning my sanctified ears. I mean, there were, you know, there were businessmen and all sorts of people all over the plane. And you could tell all of them were just irritated. They were loud. They were noisy. They just, they just all, you know, just anything you can imagine. And I'm sitting there going, I got an hour, at least an hour, hour and a half flight with this. This isn't going to be fun. The businessman that was sitting next to me was getting more irritated than I was getting. And he was ready to do something. I mean, he was ready to, to have this thing dealt with. And then suddenly it hit me. It dawned on me that these young men that were on this plane were Marine recruits that were going to Charleston in order to be picked up to go to Paris Island. Now, I'd seen that happen a time or two at the airport before, and I picked it up because I heard a couple of their conversations, and, and I was able to put some pieces together. And I'd watched that happen a time or two, and so I leaned over to the businessman that was next to me, and I said, sir, I, I, they kind of aggravate me too, and I know they're being really obnoxious, but if you can just hold on for just a few minutes, when we get off this plane... And those young men get off this plane. If you'll just wait for a moment or two, I will assure you that you will see a sight that will thoroughly vindicate these few moments. <laughs> Their world is about ready to get rocked. So just, if you can wait and just smile, I will assure you that whatever it is you want done to them, I will assure you, it may not happen on this plane. But there's a bus ride for them yet. And so he kind of backed off. And so the flight landed. We got off the plane. And they were all giddy again, you know, obnoxious, loud. And they started walking off that plane. And we just stood off to the side. I said, watch this. And there was a drill sergeant that came up. You know what those drill sergeants look like? They just, they're just shaped in this walking V. And he got in some of their faces and nose to nose and he said, you've got nothing to say anymore. You just stand in this line and don't you even move. And, and there, was some, there was an authority in his voice. There was, there was, a, there was a commandedness in him. And as we watched him, I, I looked at the businessman and I said, they've got about a, at least a two-hour ride to go to Paris Island. And I'll assure you, that unless they slept on that plane, they probably aren't going to see a cot, a mattress, or anything the rest of this day. They're going right into a new world. And, and there lies the key 
for most of us. To implement the precepts of the kingdom and do effective warfare, the world as you know it has to change. You need a, a, a boot camp, so to speak. I think everybody needs some form of boot camp to deprogram you from the natural and reprogram you to the things of the spirit. Now, there will be people who will look at you because they are still tied into the world and the way the world works, and they'll look at you and say, well, that sounds almost cultic. Well, I will suggest to you that it's not cultic, it's biblical. Listen to what Paul said here. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And then he says in verse 2, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what he's saying. He says that there must come a moment that you've got to present yourself in order to be deprogrammed from the world. He said you can no longer be conformed to the patterns of this age and the way the world thinks. We don't work like the world works. We, things don't happen like it works in the world. I could give you hundreds of illustrations of how the world does things, and that's just what the world thinks needs to happen. But that has to be deprogrammed, and then we have to be reprogrammed to work in the kingdom. And here's our problem. If you want to slap one foot here and one foot here, it's hard to walk. We want to keep one foot in the way the world does it, one foot in the way the kingdom works it, and then we want to kind of pick and choose daily. And this is how we look. That's what God sees. You'd almost be better just to get clean in or clean out. Almost. Now, I understand there's probably going to be a transition period. I understand that. No recruit goes into a boot camp instantly and knows everything, and they have to learn. That's certainly. There's process. There's journey. There's all those kinds of things. But you've got to get a picture in your mind of how the, the kingdom works. And the reason we get frustrated, even at God, is because we don't want to embrace the totality of the kingdom and how the kingdom works and how the kingdom fits. He's just not, he's just not trying to plug into our worldly existence. You know, God's not looking for a way he can kind of fit into your plan. God's wanting his plan to be your only plan. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Now let me give you just a couple things I just wrote down here. I'm going to go through this super fast. Super fast. Listen fast. A spiritual boot camp, three things. These are three things I want you to consider. Number one. In a spiritual boot camp, you need a spiritual drill sergeant in your life. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is the first person that needs to get a hold of you. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is so easy to dodge, and because we just, we just you know, we yank him around. And... But you need to understand that God will put people. He puts pastors in your life. He puts other spiritual leaders in your life to be used of God to help to get you in order. How do you think he gets you in order? Unless there's someone that can teach you and instruct you and you can hang around and listen to and receive from and, 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 and the minute it gets tough, let me tell you, when the drill sergeant looks at you and he says, that rifle you put together is wrong, do it again. What do you think they can do? They go, you put it together, Sarge. Really? Well, you know what? 
He may get away with it, I don't know. But if you think he's ready to go to battle, and if you want him defending your freedoms in another land, really? The reason we honor those men and women is because we know they've been through things that none of us, in fact, we aren't really sure we could even go through it. But they do it. They do it willingly. And they go out and they get the job done because they had the capacity to go through certain things that were comfortable for very uh, uncomfortable for for uh, many people, comfortable only for a few, and they got through it. And now that they've got through it, what do they? What do we say with regards to Marines? The few, the proud, the Marines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need one in your life, man. I hear people all the time say, "Man, legacy just tough. It's just sometimes it can be a tough place." Hey, you know what? Because I'm trying to prepare some people to get ready to succeed. I mean, if, if we're, if, well, you know, the latest statistics said 80 to 90% of America believes in God, and just about that high would say they're born again. Well, if that be true, then let's just go down the list. Then why in the world do we capitulate to homosexuality? Why do we capitulate to throwing up the Ten Commandments in places? Why do we capitulate to these things? It's because we don't know that our battle is not with flesh and blood. And we don't know how to do it. And so, what we, so we just become these, so we just, this is what we think. We think, well, we'll just get somebody elected. And, and we'll do it the way the world does it, and we'll cut the same deals, and we'll do the same things. I am so sick of Republicans and Democrats. I wouldn't give you a nickel for one of them. And it's time we got back on our faces and said, God, you're going to have to show up and do some things in our land. I'm not looking to change the White House anymore. I want to change your house. I want to change hearts. We need God to move in our land to change hearts. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and we're on borrowed time unless we get a hold of this. So anyway, that was not on my notes. <laughs> Number two, we've got to have a season of training until it becomes automatic. Nothing happens automatically in your life unless it was first a discipline. I'll say that again. Nothing happens automatically in your life unless it first was a discipline. If we allowed new recruits in the military to train according to how they felt we would be in trouble they receive discipline and practice so when they are in a combat situation they do not fight by their feeling but by the weapons they were trained with you've got to reach the place where you've got to turn it into a discipline write it down put it in front of you Make positive confessions. Do what you've got to do to begin a discipline of appropriate confession in your life. And if you'll discipline yourself to do things you don't feel like doing, you'll be amazed at how it will eventually become automatic in your life. We can't go to battle saying to ourselves, how do I feel today? Do I feel like a winner? Do I feel like a loser? Do I feel like doing that? I don't know if I feel like doing that today. And then we get, we get our tail blown off, and then we wonder why it works that way. It's because we've got to train until it becomes automatic. You've got to put it in motion. You've given, you've given certain things years of availability in your life. I'm amazed. We've got years and years and years of bad habits, and we want to give God, you know, three days. I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to give you 24 hours, God, like we're holding him hostage. I'm not going to serve you anymore, God, until you... People do that with fasting, too. I used to laugh. Some people fast in order to get God to move. It's like it's a hunger strike on God, you know. It's like, I'm not going to eat unless you move, God. <laughs> the Lord says, starve. 
you got to discipline your confession for a season despite how you feel if you want to win. If you want to win. How many of you want to win? I want to win. I'm learning that I've got to do some things by way of discipline in order to get it to be automatic again. Amen. Number three, lastly, you've got to be in an environment that causes you to believe you are invincible. Years ago, I'll never forget, it was years ago, I was at Myrtle Beach. I'm done right now, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I think. Years ago, I was at Myrtle Beach, and there was a group of brand new graduates from Paris Island that came to the beach. Man, you could tell. I didn't know much about it, but you could tell. They were just brand new recruits. They were young, you know, their heads were still shaved, you know, they, were, they all looked the same. You know, v, I'm not a V, I'm nowhere close, but I mean, you know, their, 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 their arms couldn't touch, you know, their waist because they're just, they're cut like that, you know. And I'm here to tell you, I, I, I watched them and looked at them, and of course they were confident, they were sharp, they were all those things, they were just, they were just down a ways, I could listen to them, you know. I, I've often said that, that, you know, it takes an 18, 19, 20 year old and, and to train them because... For what the Marines do, they're usually the first to land on the beach. They're usually the first to take whatever's supposed to be taken. And they literally, they believe that there, there's no bullet that can stop them. They believe that. They believe that they can, they can do anything. They can take any hill. They can take any mountain, any city. They just, they believe they're invincible. And they go through this process at Paris Island, which is amazing to me how we don't call that cultic. I think the military is a big cult. Well, it's amazing. They call churches cults all the time and slop you with that kind of stuff. I think the military is a cult because they take everything absolutely away from you. They deprive you of sleep. They determine what you're going to eat. Am I not right? They look at you and they say, you ain't thinking that way. I'm your mama. I'll tell you, that guy ain't my mama, but that's what they say. You don't got no mama, you don't got no daddy. I am your mama, I am your daddy. Are you hearing me? The military, I think the military's a cult. Well, we just ought to ban it, right? No, no. You're thanking God, you ought to, that we've got some cultic military members who are keeping us free. Listen to me now. Yeah, I know. See, it works that way. But who's going to spiritually keep our nation free? Who's going to spiritually stop the spirit of terrorism and fear from encroaching upon our land? i tell you who it's going to be. It's some people that are going to get radical about believing that God can move in their land. And some people are going to look at you and say, you a cult, wear it like a badge. That's me. That's right. I'm your worst nightmare. They were in this environment for I don't know how long just being told, you're invincible, you're invincible, you're invincible. You will not stop. You will take that mountain. We do not surrender. We go forward. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, drill sergeant. Yes, drill sergeant. Yes, drill sergeant. Till they come out and they're, sh they're looking for somebody to fight. You don't... You don't even want to get in a conversation with them for fear you'll say something and they'll take your nose off or something with some piece of string that's in their back pocket, you know. You know, they know how to kill you 50 different ways with, you know, their belt buckle. And I just... Am I not telling you the truth? Hear me. 
You've got to get in an environment. And that's, this, that's the culture we're creating. Is that I want it inside of you that you can win. You can be successful. You don't have to compromise. You will prevail. You will triumph. The enemy will not take you out. No way. We'll all go in and we're all coming out. We're, we're going to win these battles. We're going to overcome in these areas. We're going to press into new territory. We're going to take those mountains. We're going to go after that city. No, our, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. We're not shooting with real guns. We've got a sword in our mouth that is more than enough to get us where we need to be. Amen. But it's got to be applied. And it's got to begin to happen in our life. Amen. Are you still ready to win? You can. You can win. You can prevail. A sword in your mouth. I want to be just like my Lord. And he came riding on a horse with a sword in his mouth. I'm going to get that sword in my mouth. Praise God. There's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a place where we will go that will be permanent residency as a church. Amen. Yes, there will be. Yes, there will be. The harvest will come into the house of God. Yes, it will. I don't know. Well, then good. Just duck because your tail might get shot then if you're not getting a good confession in your mouth. We're going to see people miraculously healed and restored and delivered. Yes, we are. We're going to prevail. Some of you are going to be promoted and be given raises and and, and God's going to financially do some things because the kingdom's going to have to get a little resource in here somehow. And God's going to do that for you. Yes, he is. Don't make me believe for your raise. You believe for it too. And if any two agree on earth as touching it in heaven, it shall be done. Are you hearing me? I just need a couple folk to believe and to confess. And man, we can get some things happening. But if one will send a thousand to flight and two ten thousand, what do you think 250 folks could do? I think we could rearrange the spiritual landscape in our city. Charleston will be saved. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You just keep laughing, and we'll see who gets the last laugh. My Bible says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. He'll have the last laugh. Amen. Let's stand, will you? I could keep going, but i got to stop. Amen. Hallelujah. I want everybody right now, just close your eyes just for a moment, but keep your head up. Because I don't want you looking at your neighbor, looking at your friend, looking at someone across the room, but I want you to set your confession right now in order and begin to declare. Let's declare together as the church. And I want everyone to say, I am victorious in Christ Jesus. We are the body of Christ. The army of God. Nothing that the enemy throws can stop us. Because greater is he who's in me than they that are in the world. I believe and I speak. And I'm going to see change around me. Victory's coming my way. I'm invincible. In Christ Jesus, Lord, put it in me. Let me practice it. I shall practice it. It's my discipline, the confession of my mouth, 
according to your word. I look forward and anticipate my discipline becoming automatic in my life. I am a winner. I am successful. I am in Christ Jesus, purpose of God to prevail against the enemy. I receive it. I believe it. Now I declare it in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a shout now and bless his name. Come on, you're a winner. You are a winner. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, with every head bowed now, every eye closed. No one looking around. I'm going to take just the next few seconds. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, or if you're here this morning and, and you would say, you know, my relationship with God is broken, I'm, I'm, I'm distant with him, and I want to get back on track. It may be the first time you've ever made a decision to say, I want to receive this victory. Romans 8.1 says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. So if you want the victory, you've got to get him into your life. And maybe that's the first time you've ever you know, decided that or, or, or considered that. Maybe, maybe you've walked away from God and you're wanting to get some things right with the Lord this morning. I'm here to tell you that, that that's where it starts. That's where, that's where your boot camp starts right there, is saying, you know, I want him. That, that's, that's your king. That's not, he's not even a drill sergeant. I mean, he's the general. He's the king. I mean, he's it. But that's where it starts, by giving your life to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, if there be those in the congregation that you're working on, you're knocking at their heart's door, and you're drawing them to yourself. Lord, I pray right now that, that they will do what they'll be glad they did thousands of years from now. Lord, you always called people out publicly. You always did it that way. I, I can't find a place in Scripture where it was done any other way. You said if we'd acknowledge you before men, you'd acknowledge us before the Father. But if we denied you before men, you'd deny us before the Father. So, Lord, we don't know any other way to do it except according to your way and your word. And Lord, I pray right now that lovingly, graciously, gently, but yet convincingly, you begin to woo people to yourself in these last moments, Lord, that need to get things on target again. Lord, if there's one or if there were 50, Lord, you died and you love each one of them. Give them courage right now, Holy Spirit. Cause them to be courageous. You're looking for courageous soldiers. Let their courage start with this one simple event. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I can only give you just 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and we're going to close, but we try to do this almost every service. How about it tonight? If you need to get things right before you go, why don't you let us pray with you? And what I want you to do is I want you just to slip out and just join me right here. I'm down front, and I'll be right here waiting with you, but if that's something you would like to do before we go, your opportunity right now i only have a few moments so so make the decision this is your first mountain maybe that you'll have to take but you you need to right now say i'm, gonna, I, I, I'm just gonna go i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it how about it just a, another moment or two and then we'll be done another moment or two and i'm done 
How about it? How about you? How about you? If no one were to come, it isn't going to bother me. I mean, I know God's working right now. His spirit's working in people right now. Amen. You won't be alone. One has come. How about you? There's another coming. God bless you. Come on. Is there another? The reason I tarry like this is because it's just good to watch the Holy Spirit kind of work, you know? How about you? Courageous people. Majorly courageous people. I'm just, I, I, I've just got another moment. Really, you can make this decision now. How about it? Just another moment and we're done. Don't wait me out. Oh, I know, I know. Just saints, just pray real quick. This is good. This is good. This is, Father, right now, by your spirit, just work right now in folks. Just another moment or two. I've got to close. I've got to close. I've got to close. Are you done? Spirit of God, are you done? Are you done? Spirit of God, are you done? All right. I've got to close right now. I want everybody here together, those of you that have gathered with me here at the front, and all the congregation is going to do this with you. Everybody's voice will be lifted up right now. And we're all going to pray this. Say, dear Jesus, I've heard your voice in my heart. You were knocking, and I'm opening the door. And I confess right now, any and all of my waywardness, my sins, my rebellion. And I choose to turn, repentance, and walk towards you. I agree with you, Lord. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart he was raised from the dead to give me new life, a life of victory and success now and all eternity. I receive you, Lord, and I declare you to be Lord of my life. And I believe at this moment that all rights and privileges of the kingdom of God are now available to me because of you in me. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Man, God is way good. He is way good. So right now, I mean it, get your confession straight, word straight, and as you go out today, now you can do it today, tomorrow, but when Tuesday comes, and when Wednesday comes, sword in your mouth. Amen? Amen. Bless your people, Lord, right now as they go their separate ways. Cause us to be, Lord, a people, the army, that can penetrate and make a difference in every arena of life. Keep them safe, protect them, Lord, as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you. I hope to see you. Wednesdays, you can come to Discovery, man. I hope many of you come on Wednesday, 6.30, Discovery class, and pray with us. If not, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. You're released.